0: 12 It says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. We've come to this dilemma that we've discovered in this that, that we're not great at the great commandment. We're not even good at it, and that we've got to be great. I mean, we've got to be incredible at the great commandment. And we've gone through all these things that, that the heart of Christianity is primal compassion to attach my heart to Him, that's everything. The soul of Christianity is primal wonder to be in awe of who our God really is and to make others in awe of Him. The mind of Christianity is primal curiosity to where so much goes on in your mind that you've got to control that to keep the bad out, to keep the good in, and that today the strength of Christianity is primal energy, primal energy. The great omission in life is when we falsely view righteousness as doing nothing wrong. When we look at righteousness as just not doing anything bad, So, so we practice holiness by subtraction. Don't do this, don't do that, and that's righteous, and that's okay, But the problem with this whole approach is that it is possible for you to do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. That's possible. Goodness is not the absence of badness. And righteousness means more than doing nothing wrong. It means doing something right with your energy, with the things that you have, with your strength to do something right. The Greek word for strength means the antithesis of apathy. The antithesis, thesis, I'm sorry, of apathy. And Jesus is the ultimate example. Like, this is, this is the opposite of being apathetic. Today, we're gonna to look at the advice given to this king of Babylon in Daniel 4. So, if you'll turn there, we're gonna skip around, but it's an incredible, incredible story. And from this story, we're gonna draw this principle about primal energy, and it's gonna lock in on how we're to walk with the Lord, how we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and today, strength. And so while you're turning there in Daniel, let me give you some background. This story's about King Nebuchadnezzar. Some of you don't know this, some of you might, but but it's written in like 580 BC, and the story happens in what's considered scripturally a parenthesis of biblical history. Where basically the people of God of Israel have, have gone out of business. People view that the God is no longer at work. He's silent, he's not active. And if you were living in this time period and people said, Who's the God of Israel? it would be a common answer that they might say, well, well, Marduk, the God of the Babylons, is the God of Israel because he's conquered Israel. He's conquered all these, including all these other nations, especially this, this nation of Israel. And so he is, Marduk is the God of the Hebrews. He's the God of Israel. And so that's when this story takes place in a time where, where people are unclear of who God is. And it's as if God is silent. It's as if God is, is out of business. And so in these ancient times, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's conquered all these people and invited all of their, their smartest people of their lands back and given them position in his kingdom. And so in the middle of this prosperity, he has this dream that rocks his world. And that's where our story begins in Daniel 4. And the best part of this is that this story comes with Nebuchadnezzar's own words. So Daniel chapter four, we're just gonna start in verse four and start breaking it down. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Prosperous is like understatement of the world. This man had it going on. He had it going on. Verse five says, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me says it made me afraid I was terrified and 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 here was the dream that that there was this giant tree and all different kinds of animals in the world came to live under this tree and rest under this tree the tree provided for all these animals like different types of food and water and the world was just at peace and then in the midst of his own dream there's this loud voice that just says cut down that tree again this is all in his dream and suddenly the tree begins to get cut down And then the voice says, scatter the animals from under it, cut the tree down to just a stump, then put a chain around the stump. I mean, he is ripping this tree out. And he remembers all this in his dream and he says, it scared me, it made me afraid. And then the voice said in verse 17, a few verses later, skip down with me. In verse 17, the voice says, the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. Those that are living, that's us. That's who he's talking about, those that are living. Now, now, this is a big proclamation for a king to realize who thinks he is the most high. This king's conquered everybody. He thinks he is the most high. And Nebuchadnezzar wakes up from his dream and this man is scared to death. And so he calls in all the smart guys in his kingdom and he says, listen, I, I've got to understand what this dream means. Tell me what the dream means. Tell me. And all the smart guys are like, wow, I, I have no idea what your crazy messed up dream means. And, and so finally they bring in this man that we're all familiar with named Daniel. And Daniel listens to the dream and he says, um, King Nebuchadnezzar... I, I think this is a bad dream and I really wish one of your enemies would have received it because I can tell you what it means, but it doesn't look good for you. It doesn't look good, especially if this is truly from God towards you. And here's what he says in verse 24, same chapter, Daniel chapter four. Verse 24 says, this is my interpretation, O king. And this is the decree the most high, there's that phrase again, has issued against my Lord, the king. He's saying your kingdom's gonna be restored to you when you acknowledge, listen, with your energy, with what you do, with your strength, with your efforts, king, that heaven rules, not you. And as you can imagine, this is a huge blow to the king's ego. It's a huge paradigm shift if he's gonna get it that, that this would have put Daniel on the king's bad side for the rest of his life because he just told the most powerful man in the world, you are not God. You think you're God, you're not God, Marduk's not God, but the true, his phrase, most high is about to judge you. And Daniel's saying God wants to make a point in the parentheses, in biblical history, the parentheses, he's not out of business, he's ready to make a point to you and your kingdom and to where you put your energy. He's trying to speak to the most powerful man on his throne and whisper into his ear, you are not in control. You think you control Israel but you are only able to march your armies because I allow you to, I am the most high God. And so Daniel speaks to Nebuchadnezzar and he's like, listen, if you just repent and with all of your energy, with all of your strength, everything that you do, if you'll just become a more just king and not be arrogant and just bend your knee and admit that you're not the most high God, if you'll do that, you are not him if you would just think of the poor and, and, and make changes based on what God says on right and wrong and not based on on your pride and your authority, God might have mercy on you, the most high who's given you this dream can bring about a reality that is not this dream if you give your energy to him. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is listening to the interpretation of the dream and and you got to realize that he's hearing things like, you know, eat, eat grass like a cow, he's going to make the leader that, that goes against him, he grass like a cow. That, that's weird. Now, after you're telling me the interpretation of these weird things, it kind of makes me feel better because you're giving me silliness. You're giving me goofy thoughts. And so really, after Daniel interprets it, I think I'm kind of fine because your, your interpretation is just silly. It's, and so he just disregards all of Daniel's advice. He disregards it all. Scripture continues in verse 29 by saying, Twelve months later, a full year later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, 12 months later, you got to think, I don't even remember that dream. A year ago. How many of you remember dreams from a year ago? I doubt it. I don't even remember that dream. What is that? Verse 30, he says, This is King Nebuchadnezzar. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He's like, Am I awesome or what? Look, this is my palace. Am I great? Look at what I've done. Look at what my energy, look at what I, my strength is capable of. I am king. In verse 31, the words were still on his lips. He was still proclaiming that prideful words, those prideful words. When a voice came from heaven, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You can't take my authority. I've earned it. I did this myself. This is my strength, my power. And God's saying, no, Nebuchadnezzar, this is not about you. That's not the point of this entire thing. You think your energy has done this and you've done it all by yourself. And I want you to know once and for all that the most high God is sovereign over every kingdom of the earth, over every leader on this planet. And and no matter what you view yourself as, I am the most high in control of every bit of it. And it's in this moment, listen to me, church. This is where it starts to get good. It's in this moment that King Nebuchadnezzar is confronted with one of the most powerful principles that I want you to jot down. And it's simply this, leadership is stewardship. Your energy, your leadership, your strength, the strength that you have today to get up, the things that you do, the things that you say, what's on your to-do list, all of that. Your leadership is stewardship. It means that it's temporary. God can take it away. God can remove it all. And God says, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm gonna take away your leadership to make the point that it's not yours to begin with. I can take it and I can give it because I am the most high God. And the story continues in verse 32. It says, you'll be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the cattle seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone that he wishes seven times we don't know if that's seven days seven weeks seven years most think years but scripture says that immediately nebuchadnezzar went crazy lost his mind lost his sanity he became a crazy man and the kingdom officials come in the room and here's the most high king in their day earthly king and the once like great majestic king with all his energy all his power can do anything he wants is now literally listen on the ground groveling like an animal and here is one of the most powerful men in the world on all fours, eating without his hands. He's just absolutely lost it. This king of theirs is on the ground and apparently, if you walk through the rest of Scripture, apparently they, the people in the palace kept it a secret for a while because it's not popular to have a king who's acting like that. And so, oh, sorry, the king won't be in today. Oh, so, sorry, he's out again today. So sorry, no, no, the, he went to France. No, no, he, you know, so wherever, you know. He, he's not feeling well. And so, the, But over time... They didn't want the truth to get out about the kingdom because those French will steal anybody, apparently. And for sure, they didn't want it to get out to opposing nations, right? They didn't want that to get out. And so slowly, the stories of King Nebuchadnezzar's insanity began to leak out. And in fact, it became part of his legacy. Apparently, this was a story of Nebuchadnezzar himself that he would later be confronted with. The fact that the most high God was sovereign and over the kingdoms of men and grants them to anyone he wishes. He was confronted with all that. And so here's how the story begins to conclude. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, listen to this church, this is so tender, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers, with the energies, with the strength of heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? In other words, and this is huge, Nebuchadnezzar decided that, No one could question God. This great and powerful king realized that no one had the right to talk about their energy, their effort, their leadership, because he is the most high God and can dictate to any of us where we should place our energy. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Verse 37 says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all of his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And this is unbelievable. And his attendants would have said, amen, Mm -hmm. he is right because I saw that king on all fours groveling. I saw what had happened. What in the world has happened to this man to where he's restored and to where he's at peace, to where he has all that he wanted? And the rest of the men would have just said if God can do that with mighty king Nebuchadnezzar then the rest of us with a little bit of pride here and there better walk humbly with our God. And that's remarkable. God said I'm not out of business. I'll prove it in the most powerful, most most to the most powerful most arrogant person in all the world. I'll prove it that their energy is not their own. Listen, this is not where the story ends. In fact, this story gets, gets even more layered because eventually King Nebuchadnezzar dies because if you don't know, that's kind of what happens. We die. People go. Leaders die. And, and his kingship's passed to his son. At that time, the Persians, you know, the movie 300, all these, you know, Persians are rising up, all that stuff. And, and so the son, usually the kings die off in battle. They retire. They die, you know, whatever. This guy, he just quits. He's done. Right in the middle of his kingship, Nebuchadnezzar's son just says, I'm done. I'm going to go off and be by myself because I'm really scared of this Persian army that's taken over the world. So he quits and passes it on to his son, Belshazzar. While he's still away, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's dead. He's fleeing because he's scared. He's chicken. And his, his son, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, is, uh, is reigning. And Belshazzar, if you don't know, is just as arrogant And his kingdom, even though his kingdom is shutting down all around him because of the Persians, he just continues with pride and with arrogance just like his grandfather started, just like his daddy. And then, and this is odd, on October 12th, 539 B.C. And we know it just because of the history books and I think that's amazing. This crazy thing happens that the Persians reach Babylon and and they surround this great ancient city and inside Belshazzar, all of his attendees, all the armies, and Belshazzar is so arrogant that he can just take the Persians. They're losing, they're losing everything. He's so arrogant that on the evening of October 12th with the armies right outside, camped outside, he just throws this massive, gigantic party. He just throws a party and he's pretty much saying, you guys can sit outside those walls until you rot. We've got plenty of of food in here. The Euphrates River runs right through the middle of the city. So in my arrogance and to show you how powerful I am and what I can do with my energy and my efforts and my strength... While you're out there starving and ready to fight, we're just gonna throw a little party in my arrogance. And so Belshazzar went into the banquet hall that night, and listen to me, this is I'm telling you you gotta read God's word, it's incredible. He begins to pull out the the grandest statue of the false god Marduk. And all his attendees, he sends them to the treasury and says, you get everything that we conquered. Get all the other gods that we conquered. Bring those statues out. Let's, just, let's make fun of them all in, in Marduk's name. And so they pull out all these things. Liquor's flowing. People are partying. Marduk, all these other statues of other gods are all out here. And they're just making fun. They're ridiculing them. And in the middle of it, they're like, we can't find a statue of Yahweh. When we overcame Israel, when we overcame the Hebrews, you know, God's people, when we overcame them, we don't have a statue of Yahweh can't find anything why well because in christianity the first rule is don't make one of those you know that's what they say that's kind of the first commandment don't do that and and they're walking around the temple where's their god all we find is silverware and goblets and stuff that we that we took because they're gold and silver and all that from the hebrews and so Belshazzar says well bring them just bring them and let's let's we'll just throw a party and we'll eat on god's plates everybody this is like oh uh, you don't do this we're, we're gonna drink out of god's goblets we're gonna do all this from the hebrew children and so Belshazzar says let's just use it all that's what we'll do and so they're eating from god's plates they're drinking from god's goblets big party telling the persians we're just not concerned one little bit our energy is our own and then in the middle of this party Belshazzar looks up and there's a hand right along on the wall that's weird. Okay? Just just put that out there. This is this is kind of cool if you ever heard the phrase, you know, handwriting on the wall. This is where that came from, from this passage in scripture. The Bible says that when Belshazzar saw it, his knees began to knock and he was overcome with fear. And he did what any half-drunk, arrogant king who's who's arrogant about his own energy would say. He said, "Who can read that?" Cuz whoever can read it, I'll make you third most powerful in my kingdom. You think third? Well, Remember his daddy's like MIA, gone. He's second, so the best he can really offer is third in the kingdom. And everybody around is like, "I don't know what this says. I don't have a clue what it says." And Belshazzar's wife, the queen, comes up to him and says, "Says, Belshazzar, I think there's a man that you need to talk to because your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had an advisor that he trusted and his name was Daniel." Listen to how God's word does this right here. Watch this. Daniel's really old. Daniel's really, really old. He's elderly and they find him in the city and bring him in and Belshazzar says, Daniel, I'll make you third most, most powerful in this kingdom if you can tell me what that says. And Daniel looks up at the wall and has gotta be thinking, I don't think I wanna be third in command on a sinking ship, I'm not gonna do it. You know, he's look, he knows what this says and so Daniel tells him, keep all your gifts, you know, keep all your stuff, I'll tell you what the handwriting on the wall says and that's where our story picks back up in Daniel chapter five, verse 17 and this is how we gotta start wrapping it up. Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your reward to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, listen, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. He says, God gave him that power. God gave him that strength, that energy. Your grandfather was feared by the world. He keeps going in verse 20. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. And you gotta think about it, there's probably people all in this room who've never heard that story. Remember, they were tried to try to keep that from people and gasps. gasps, what, King Nebuchadnezzar, what? And then the end of verse 21, he lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged the most high God as sovereign over the kingdoms of men and said over them, anyone he wishes. And there's that lesson again. He's the most high God, he's sovereign. Everything is stewardship. And verse 22. And you just gotta think, this is Daniel pointing his bony old finger in his face. But you, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself though you knew all of this. You knew it all. You knew all of this. You've heard this story from your father. You've heard it from your grandfather and family members all around you since you were a boy that the most high God humbled your grandfather. He humbled him over his energy and made him insane. God made him a merciful, changed king when he humbled himself. And even though you knew this story and you knew it to be reality, when you became king, you didn't follow any of it. Your energy was your own. You remained arrogant like King Nebuchadnezzar was in the beginning. And so instead, verse 23 says this, at the very first part it says, instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You're disrespecting the Lord. The last part of that verse states you had the goblets from his temple brought to you and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds you in his hands, your life and all of your ways. You gotta think he's looking around these statues and pointing at them. You did this. You brought this out in arrogance. Look, you're eating on God's plates. You're drinking of God's goblets. You are mocking him when you know what your grandfather and what your father did. You know it. And with all of your energy, you are all about yourself. And he says this in verse 25 and 26. The Most high God is holding his life, holding his future. Says this is the inscription that was written on that wall. Says many, many, tekel, parson. This is what these words mean. Many, that God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. He keeps going and says, this is Tekel. You have been weighed on the scales and you have been found wanting. He says, whether you recognize it or not, even though you've never bowed your knee to him, you are accountable to the most high God and he's evaluated your reign. He's evaluated what you put your energy and time into. He's evaluated it and found you wanting. Verse 28 says, Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. God's saying the handwriting is this, just look. Just just look at what I told your grandfather when he reigned temporarily. And just as I took that that, that kingdom from him temporarily, I'm going to take yours permanently. And now this is amazing because at the exact time, Bible says, at the exact time, all this is going on. The very moment that he's saying this, Daniel's saying this in in the king's face. The Persians are going under this gate because there's a marsh and and it began to get lower and lower and lower to where they could slip under the gate of the city and they pushed open the gate and the armies came in. So right as he's saying, he's gonna strip this kingdom from you permanently with very little resistance, the other armies, the Persian armies, come on into the arrogant kingdom. They took the city of Babylon in one night and in the same night, King Belshazzar, right after Daniel's pointing in his face, this is gonna be stripped from you permanently. He's executed himself. The moral of the story is this of King Nebuchadnezzar, of his son, of his son. The the moral of it is this, that the most high God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. And God gives them temporarily to anyone that he wishes, that your energy, all energy, your leadership, all about your leadership, every bit of it is stewardship, which means it's temporary and it will always be. And you know what happens when when we're like Nebuchadnezzar and we look at all the things we control, we, we, we look at all the money we have, all the power that's in our title at work, all the energy that we have, when, when we have those moments of arrogance and we forget, it's in those moments that I think God says, no, no, Tommy, no, Tommy, look, you're looking in the wrong direction. Look up at me and you'll remember just how small you are, but you also remember just how accountable you are. And for those of you who have the courage to bow your knee before God and recognize That it is the Most High God that's given you that ability, it's given you your talent, given you your energy, when you realize that it's in that moment, when you realize, when you look back at everything that you're responsible for, everything that you're in charge of, suddenly you begin to see them differently. Your energy is seen through his eyes, not yours, that I'm accountable to God for my attitude. I'm accountable to God for how I pastor, for how I instruct my children. I am accountable. And it's no longer about me. It's no longer about my time, my effort, my energy. It's no longer here for my sake, but it's there for their sake. It's for this church's sake, it's for my children's sake, it's for my wife's sake, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength means that it's his strength in you. It's been delegated to you, it's been given to you. And in that moment, you become a different kind of leader when you recognize it like that. In that moment, you realize it's about God's purpose, not about your ego. It's about what God wants, it's his will, not your success. And in that moment, if you can just hang on to that moment this morning, if you can, we can be the kind of leaders with open hands because we realize that it's all about stewardship. It's all temporary. And, and I will always, always be accountable for where I place my energy, for how I place my energy. And at the end of the day, God isn't gonna say, well said, good and faithful servant. There's only one thing that he's gonna say to those who are righteous, truly righteous. He's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. God doesn't reward what we know. He doesn't reward what we say. He rewards where we place our energy, our strength in an investment. And it's part of stewardship for God's purposes, to love the Lord your God with all your strength. See, listen, your wonderful abilities to write, to tell jokes, to delegate, to to organize, to run, to cheer, whatever, all these things will make you a very famous leader. It will make you that. But it doesn't make you a great leader. You'll never become great leaders until... You realize, like Nebuchadnezzar, that the Most High God is sovereign over the schools, over the teams, over the workplace, over the families, over the churches, over the marriages, over relationships. He is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and He chooses who to give them to. It's always temporary. That's our energy, that's our efforts. Loving God in one way is not enough, but to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, strength, it's love to the fourth power. That's what he says. He says, this is most important, compassion, wonder, curiosity, and energy. They're all nouns, but it's the church's job. It's your job, church. It's my job to turn nouns into verbs. It's our highest calling. It's my highest privilege. And in the words of G.K. Chesterton, he says this, and I love this. He says, how much happier you would be, how much more of you there would be. Listen, if the hammer of a higher God could smash your small cosmos so that it's no longer about you. Simply put, we've got to be great at the great commandment. We've got to be incredible. It's gotta be on the forefront of your mind. Anything less isn't good enough. It's not great enough. We better not succeed at the wrong things. We, we, We better not invest our earthly lives in things that have no zero heavenly value. We better not be great at things that don't matter because if you're great at something that doesn't matter, it doesn't matter we have to be great at what matters most, and what matters most is loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so the rallying cry of our church is found in this primal concept of Amo Dei, the translation, love